So we're talking about New Year's resolutions, but we're talking about them in the context of questions that we can resolve once and for all. And I don't think that there's any more important question than the question that we have today, the question of salvation. Can we know that we're saved? What is the evidence of salvation? Can we resolve this once and for all? Let's take a look together today as we try to resolve this question once and for all, am I saved? Hi everybody, I'm Joseph Walter and this is Loving Theology. So like I said, today we're talking about the question of salvation and trying to resolve once and for all, are we saved? But maybe, you know, your question starts a little bit more fundamentally in the sense of what am I saved from? What does salvation really look like? Um, what did Jesus really do for me in salvation? And we have a post in a video where we talk a little bit about that titled Resting in Our Salvation. I'll put a link for it above and in the description below um, if you're interested to see a little bit more there. But as we, as we ask this question of how do we know whether or not we're saved, let's start in Romans 10. In verse 9, it says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. It seems simple enough. And basically, the Apostle Paul gives us two aspects or two criteria for salvation, confession and belief. But I don't want to settle for just what's at the surface here. There's a lot more throughout the New Testament and even in that passage in Romans that really helps to illuminate for us what salvation looks like and how we know whether or not we're saved. Let's dig into it together. So in saying that we have to believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, I don't think that there is any more succinct summary of our faith. Because to say that God raised Jesus from the dead means that Jesus lived, that he died, and that he was raised. And it also means that everything that he said was true. And that basically God confirmed or witnessed that it was true whenever he raised him from the dead, even the fact that he was God's son. And also, because we are saved from death to eternal life, this is sort of, the resurrection is basically the picture of that, the promise of that. So, like I said, whenever you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, you believe the Christian faith. The other thing that I think is interesting is that Paul points out that we must believe in our heart. And he really emphasizes that. As a matter of fact, in the next verse, he goes on to emphasize it further. He says, for it is with the heart that a person believes, resulting in righteousness. That's Romans 10.10. 10. So Paul is basically emphasizing that this belief can only come from the heart, that we can't simply believe in our mind. What, what I could maybe explain that as is if you take the example of what we discussed last time, where we talked about the evidence or the, the intellectual reasons that we can believe that God exists, is somehow in seeing all of that, we were convinced of this idea that God does exist. And we were convinced of this notion in our minds. That is not the same thing as believing it in our hearts. Because it's with belief that actually leads to a change in our actions. Just being convinced of something in your mind doesn't mean that you change the way that you do something. It's really, being be it's really believing something in our heart that changes the way that we act, changes what we do, and ultimately leads to righteousness, like Romans says. Now, as an example of this kind of belief where the heart is missing, Jesus in Matthew 15 quotes from Isaiah, and he says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. That's Matthew 15, verse 8 and 9. And in that, Jesus uses the same imagery of the mouth and the heart. He says, with their lips do they honor me, but their heart is far from me. And remember how we said that that kind of belief where the heart is missing does not produce righteousness. It does not produce right standing with God. Well, similarly here, he says, in vain do they worship me. In other words, their, their works of worship aren't even pleasing to God. And I think the reason for that is because they're not born out of a desire to please him. 
but instead they're born out of a desire to establish their own righteousness. And, the, and that's where he talks about uh, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men, that they establish their own commandments, their own righteousness. And in Romans, that same passage in Romans, in Romans 10, it talks about that same thing. In verse 3, it says this, For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. So in all of this, I hope that you can see that there is simply no way that we can satisfy this aspect of salvation unless we believe in our heart. But for the context of our question here, that ought to be pretty easy to know, right? Like it's, it's our heart, it's my heart. I should know whether or not I believe in my heart. Well, maybe consider what Jeremiah says. In Jeremiah 17 verse nine, he says, the heart is deceitful above all things. And in the context of our conversation here, in the context of salvation, consider this example from Matthew seven. This is Jesus talking. He says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And that's Matthew seven twenty-two to 23. And I think that this might be one of the scariest passages in scripture because it describes someone who thinks that they're saved, but who is surprised that they're not after death. And I mean, whenever you, what makes it even more scary is that whenever you look at the person that Jesus is describing, I mean, they're casting out demons, they're prophesying, they're doing all these mighty works. And you think to yourself, wow, like that's not even, I'm not even there. Um, you know, what, what does that mean? And I think that Part of it is he says, you workers of lawlessness, depart from me for I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. And in saying you workers of lawlessness, I think that reminds me of what we just talked about with the heart and the sense of the kind of belief that lacks the heart leads to this sense of self-righteousness where I'm saying, well, didn't I do all of these mighty works? But it doesn't rely on the righteousness that God provides. And so in that view, we are lawless. So basically in describing someone where he says, I never knew you, Jesus is describing someone whose heart is far from them. By the contrast of that, consider the opposite. That in order for us to be considered ones who know God, we have to have an intimate relationship with him. And in so doing, our heart is close to him. So the evidence that we believe in our heart is actually in the intimate, close relationship that we have with him, with the fact that we know him and he knows us. As evidence of that, consider the definition of that word heart that's used throughout all of these passages. It is considered the desire producer that makes us tick. It is our desire decisions that establish who we really are. In other words, while we might say that we believe that God is real, that God raised him from the dead, but the evidence that we actually do believe that, we might say it with our lips, but the evidence that we actually believe it in our hearts is that we have a relationship with him because we desire to have a relationship with him. Because if God is real, if, if Jesus is real, if everything that he said is really true, then we want to know him and we want him to know us. Now, this is the first evidence of salvation. And like the heart, this evidence is internal. Meaning that this active dialogue, this conversation with God, is not something that's directly visible to others. That being said, I, is, I do think that it is something that we can know, that's something that we can observe. That we can know whether or not we're really conversing with him, that we have an active dialogue with him, that we have an active relationship with him. And I, we have a series where I characterize what that relationship looks like. And it's based on the same thing that all friendships are based on, an open-ended two-way conversation. So in our series, Talking With God, we talk about what that looks like and how to cultivate and develop that kind of relationship. But I think that it is that relationship 
that is the evidence that we believe in our heart. So if we say that we believe in our heart with our mouth, but we don't have that kind of active relationship with God where we really feel close to him, we feel like we know him, we feel like he knows us, then I think at that point our heart is deceiving us and we lack that evidence of salvation. And that's a sobering thought, I know. Now, before we wrap up, I wanna talk about the other evidence of salvation, and that is the evidence of confession. And if I can really draw an emphasis on that, he says that we must confess that Jesus is Lord. But I really wanna draw an, uh, an emphasis on this word confess. Let me give a simple example. If I were to confess to a crime that I wasn't guilty of, then that confession wouldn't actually be a confession, it would just be a lie. The other thing is that if I, you know, confess to a crime, but I, I did so in private, in secret, just to myself, I just talking to the wall here, I said, yeah, okay, I'm guilty of the crime. That's not a confession either. In order for a confession to be a confession, it has to be both true and public. The other word that I want to draw an emphasis to is that word Lord. That word Lord describes an acknowledgement that we are his, that we have been bought with a price. And in looking at the Greek behind it, it basically describes recognizing that we have given him the right to decide for us. That we don't choose what's right and wrong anymore. We don't choose what we're going to do anymore. That we rely on him to make those decisions for us. So if we don't let him decide what's right and wrong, if we don't let him decide what we're going to do or not going to do, if we still make those decisions for ourselves, if we still think through and decide, okay, yeah, that seems right, or, or we still make those decisions, then he isn't our Lord. And back to my earlier point, in order for us to confess him as Lord, first he has to be Lord. That first he has to be our Lord before we can confess him as such. Now, I just wanna make a quick note that we have another post where we talk about the goodness of God's commands, that, that the commands that God gave us are actually his, an expression of love for us, that they really are good for us, that they do a lot of good for us. And we titled that post, His Commandments Are Love. Now, if he is our Lord, then this passage in Roman compels us to confess him as Lord. And there's a similar warning to that, that warning in Matthew 7 that talks about, depart from me for I never knew you. There's a similar warning that Jesus gives to those who don't confess him. In Matthew 10, verse 32 and 33, it says this, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my father who is in heaven. And that word confesses that same word that's in this passage from Romans 10. Unlike the belief in our heart that was more of an internal evidence of salvation, this evidence is meant to be external, that we are meant to openly confess that Jesus is Lord. And in doing that, what we're confessing is that we no longer decide what's right and wrong or what we're going to do or what we're going to believe. That what we think is right and wrong is based on what the Bible tells us is right and wrong. It's based on what Jesus told us was right and wrong that what we're going to do is based on what Jesus has called us to do. What we think, what we believe, everything that we are is based on what Jesus has called us to. That we aren't our own anymore. That's what this looks like. So if we don't openly confess that Jesus is Lord, that he decides what we think, what we believe, and what we do, then we have denied him and we will not be saved. Okay, so now we've talked about the evidence of salvation, the internal and external evidence for salvation. But I wanna take a step back because I realize I have been very direct in this conversation. And honestly, I can only hope that I haven't offended you. Maybe let me start by explaining why I've been so direct. Imagine with me that I was the person described in Matthew 7 or in Matthew 10, 
where I thought that I was saved. I thought that I had an active relationship with him. I, I thought that I was going to be saved. I thought that I had confessed him. But then after death, I was surprised to find out that I wasn't. I would much rather be surprised now. I would much rather have somebody tell me now that I, weren't, that I wasn't saved, that I needed to work out my salvation than be surprised after death because I can still do something about it now. So that's why I've been so direct. And in, in saying that, I hope that I've done one of two things for you. I hope that maybe on the one hand, I've comforted you. That if you've been wondering whether or not you saved, as, as you look through this evidence of salvation, you feel confident. You feel like you have that active relationship with him. You feel like you have confessed to Miss Lord, that you've surrendered your life to him and you've made it open that you've surrendered your life to him. And, and if, you, if that's you, then I'm glad. And I hope that I've comforted you, that you can be confident that you are saved. But on the other hand, maybe I've challenged you to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, like it describes in Philippians. And I hope that in doing that, maybe I've motivated you to ask these questions, to explore these things and make sure that you are saved. Because ultimately at the end of this, what I wanna do is the next time that there's an altar call, I want you to feel confident. I want you to know that you are saved. I want you to be able to start praying for people who need to go down rather than questioning for yourself, should I go down again? I want you to know and resolve this question once and for all, to feel confident that you have a relationship with him, to feel confident that you have surrendered your life to him, to feel confident that you are saved because I believe that you can be confident in that. Now, if this question and, and this conversation sparks something for you and you have more questions or you wanna talk about it more, please do feel free to email us at lovingtheology at gmail.com and we'd love to engage with you in that conversation. Um, also, we're just in the middle of our series here on resolving these big questions. Last time we talked about, um, is God real? Is it reasonable to have faith? And this time, obviously we've talked about, am I saved? And next time we're actually gonna talk about a current issue, uh, the, the question of, is an embryo a baby? And the question of, when does life begin? And we'll talk about it scientifically next week and then biblically in the week following. Be sure to subscribe and hit the bell because you don't want to miss it. And we've got uh, also other series planned for you even after this. So I hope that you'll do that. Um, additionally, I'll put a link for this whole series so that you can watch it uh, in case you're watching these videos a little bit later and you want to watch the playlist for the whole series. And I'm also going to put a link for uh, our, our series on talking with God so that you can maybe walk through that and see um, posts where we talk about what friendship with God looks like and how to develop that active dialogue with him if our conversation today has sort of sparked something for you. Thank you again for joining us today.